Okay, if you take your Bibles and turn to Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 1. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. We have been in this study for two weeks now, but uh, we said this is a book that is written by Solomon probably at the end of his life as he looks back. It's a book that uh, young people should read. Uh, you, You find some of the final statements of the book are remember thy creator in the days of thy youth, uh, and those type of things. It's a book to get you prepared for life, but it also helps us uh, that are older, middle-aged, and, and uh, old to be able to have a proper perspective on life uh, as we try and uh, transmit that to other individuals and give them an understanding of the meaning of life that uh, we have a lot of people that have no idea what the meaning of life is, what the purpose is for life, and so they are running around aimlessly in life. Last week we started off in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and began to go through what we said was a general statement uh, about life. Uh, and it is a statement that's in third person. You go, okay, what's that mean? Well, it's a person observing a situation from the outside, making statements about it. And we got through with the fact that uh, life uh, just kind of goes in circles. One generation comes, one generation goes. In nature, you have uh, water that goes to the rivers, goes to the sea, then is taken up in the clouds and rains again. And so you just kind of look at, well, nature, you look at mankind, and you begin to understand that it's the same old, same old. And that's what the title of the lesson was last week, was the same old, same old, because it seems like, and just looking at life, the same things happen over and over again. And, uh, and it happens this way for generations. For the last 6,000 years, this has been going on, that you've had this cycle that has been going on and on and on. But the question that is the one that is posed right at the beginning of this book is found, <clears throat> we have that statement in, in, in Ecclesiastes 1-2, it says, vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. It's futile, it's empty. All effort is not really worth anything. It doesn't accomplish anything. It doesn't accomplish what it sets out to do. But then you have this question in verse 3. What profit hath a man of all his labor which he taketh under the sun? That's the question that's going to drive the rest of the book. It's the question, as we said last week, it's the question with a hook. Because when you begin to think about it, and you begin to take stock, that's a term we use today, but you start taking stock of life, and you begin to go, okay, what, what profit has there been of this in my life, and 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 you, you go, well, is there any value to it? Now, what happens is that uh, verse, verse 11, you kind of, kind of this end statement that you just kind of, as you read it, you're completely dissatisfied. We said Ecclesiastes is a tract to be read by the world. The name of God is used, Jehovah is not used throughout it, which is the personal name God had for his people, uh, to call upon him, to connect with him. Uh, It's just the generic term for God, Elohim, the regular term, which people in the world would use. And so this is a tract designed to create dissatisfaction amongst people who have no idea who God is, what he's like, and what he expects. And 
There's an attempt by Solomon to make people begin to search for the real meaning of life and real purpose in life. And so Solomon suddenly shifts, and as you see uh, in, well, we've lost one screen there. Uh, What you see is the person who is conducting this experiment that is going to say, okay, I'm going to be the guinea pig. I'm going to be the the test case for you to see what I've just said generally that life just seems to go around in circles and is frustrating and is futile. I'm going to be the test case. And you see this starting off in verse 12. It says this, I the preacher was king over Israel and Jerusalem. You know, why is that important? Well, Solomon's the one who's going to be the test case on this, and from a human perspective, he has all the advantages. He has all the advantages. He's kind of like what we might say with a a Bill Gates or somebody like that who just has a whole lot of money, and they can do whatever they want. They want to buy buy a boat and park it in Antarctica, they can. Uh, If they want to build a spaceship, they can do that, as you've had some of these uh, billionaires uh, attempt to do. Uh, I'm not sure I really want to go to Mars on something they built, but, you know, they they are, you know, have the money to do that. They've got all sorts of money, and from a human perspective, they've got all the advantages in life. They've got the best health care, the best doctors. They've got uh, any kind of money they want. They've got power of all kinds. And in looking at this, you're kind of going, if I want somebody to prove that life is frustrating, let's get somebody who's got all the advantages and see if it works out for them that this is the very case for them too. Because a lot of us might go, well, I'm disadvantaged in today's society. I'm a victim. You know, so life is going to be rather difficult and frustrating, and that's what it's going to be like. But if we're going to say that for everyone it's this way, why don't we get somebody from our perspective who's got every single human advantage and see if it proves out that life can be, in the sense of, you know, looking at it, empty, and futile and meaningless, even for someone who has all the advantages. And so what Solomon goes is, I'm going to be the experiment. And he then proceeds to go through, and I'm not sure why he does this, but he kind of gives his immediate summation of what the experiment's like. You know, sometimes you have this, if you ever have scientific documents and the like, they'll, you know, say we did this experiment, they'll give a very brief summarization of what the conclusion was, and then they'll go through the whole process of getting to that conclusion. And Solomon does that in verse, uh, you see this starting in verse number 13, a statement uh, of Solomon, I gave my heart to seek and search out wisdom concerning all things that are done under the sun. The sore travail hath God given to the sons of man to be exercised therewith. I have seen all the works that are done under the sun. And behold, all is vanity, vexation of spirit. That which is crooked cannot be made straight. And that which is wanting, lacking, we might say, that which is lacking cannot be numbered. 
See, what he says is, I experimented, tried to just see if life was completely meaningless, but my summarization is simply this. His conclusion is, you always come up short. I mean, that final statement that you have there where that which is lacking cannot be numbered, he's basically saying this, those things that you don't have, you can't do, aren't accomplishing, they're infinite in number. You can't count them. I mean, you kind of get that statement uh, at the end of Ecclesiastes where he talks about the fact of books and of writing, there is no end. You know, you've read one book and there's another one to read. And then you read that book and there's another one. And, and you just keep going on and on and you're never going, never going to uh, get to the point where you've read everything, seen everything. You're not going to have that. And so he immediately summarizes this whole adventure that he's on that he gave his heart. It's not just a, a half-hearted thing here. You see that in verse uh, 13. It's not, you know, okay, well, in my spare time, I kind of gave myself to this. No, he gives his whole life to this. The heart is the seat of everything that a person is, and he's saying, I gave my whole being to make this my pursuit, to find meaning in life in all sorts of things. But he says, the summary I'm going to give you is that you always come up short. You know, is there value? Is there gain in this? And no, well, you're you're, going to come up short. So then he goes, and as you have this, and it crosses uh, over into second chapter, and chapter two is the whole, whole of that chapter is talking about the experiment that he did. And we're not going to cover all of this today, but we're going to cover certain elements of this, that he has this thing that we're calling the extended experiment The extended experiment uh, is one where he attempts to go and find all sorts of things that are going to help him out, and so he begins begins to search out the world for answers. And if you're a thinking person, you'd go, okay, what I need to do if I'm trying to find the meaning of life, what do I need to do? I need to think, contemplate, meditate. You know, those are terms that you would use today. And that's exactly what Solomon does. Look at verse number 16. He says this, I communed with mine own heart, saying, lo, I'm come to a great estate and have gotten more wisdom than they, all they that are before me in Jerusalem. Yea, my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. I gave my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is vexation of spirit. For in much wisdom is much grief. And he that increaseth knowledge increases sorrow. See, the first thing that Solomon does is the thing that, from his perspective is the thing that's the center core of his life. Think about when he becomes king, he doesn't ask for riches, he doesn't ask for long life, he doesn't ask for his enemies, he asks for wisdom to be able to rule. And so what we might define Solomon by is that here's a wise person, this is where, where he is at his best, that he is smart and understands how to use not only knowledge, but how to use it in life. Is there's a lot of people that have knowledge and don't know what to do with it. 
There's others that have knowledge and know what to do with it. Solomon's that kind of person. And so what he does is he starts off and says, I can find the meaning of life by searching out wisdom and knowledge and thought and philosophy and all of these things. I'm going to find the answer to life. Now, we have to stop here for a second. Understand this is not godly wisdom that he's searching life out by. There are two types of wisdom. James chapter 3 talks about this. Is after that whole passage, it talks about your tongue and this, and it talks about that there is a heavenly wisdom and a earthly wisdom. And the earthly wisdom that we have is sensual and that, and that means that it's by us getting our senses and our experiences, and it's, it's here to the earth. You know, we might say in James that it's earthly, but we might say it's under the sun. Because godly wisdom functions this way. And he states this in Proverbs chapter 1, that wisdom starts with a knowledge of God and a fear of the Holy One. Okay, knowledge of the Holy One, a fear of the Lord. It starts with acting as if God has a part in everything. God plays a role. He's there. He exists. I interact in life as if he's there. But, but what Solomon is working from here is not that level of wisdom. He's entering into life and doing this experiment as one who is going, okay, I'm going to act as if under the sun, what's here on earth is it, and try and come up with a solution. And so when he says, I'm making this search for wisdom, this is not saying he's looking to God and trying to find answers there. He's just saying, I tried to make things work from a human perspective. Uh, We would say that this is earthly wisdom. Okay, that's how you define it. It's not heavenly wisdom. It's not the wisdom that fears the Lord, lives in awe of God and who he is uh, and relates to him. Uh, It's an earthly wisdom. And so you've got a lot of people who do that in this life. I mean, one of, one of the weirdest classes I had to take in college was uh, the one that was uh, philosophy of education. And when we had philosophy of education, they had a lot of philosophy. And so we're going back to, to Greek individuals who are trying to explain the meaning of life, and, and one of them is sitting there, well, life is this. It's like you're just merely, you have uh, this fire that's behind you that's burning, and uh, what happens is that in between that fire are there's things walking in between that, and you've got this far wall that you're looking at, and all you're merely seeing there are shadows of reality. It's like, Really? That, that's the meaning of life. I mean, that's only about three to 400 years after Solomon, but they're coming up with this. And others are merely saying, well, we're like blind people walking about, and, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> uh, we're, we're like blind individuals going through life, and all we experience is what we can immediately touch. And they described it this way, is that imagine you have an elephant in a room and everyone's blindfolded, and they come up, and they reach out to grab the elephant. You imagine you're the one who grabs the tail, and you go, well, you know what? This is a puny kind of animal. 
And someone else comes up and, you know, wraps their arms around one of the legs and goes, hmm, kind of like a tree. And someone else reaches out and grabs the, the uh, snout, uh, the trunk of the elephant, and he grabs onto that, and there's like, wow, this is like some sort of massive snake. What am I going to do with this? And they've all got different opinions on what reality is. I mean, this is the, this is the kind of stuff where, where people who are living life without God and any sort of sense of that will come up with all sorts of weird philosophies, and, and what you find in the end when they seek out wisdom and all of these things, what you're eventually going to find is that the search brings nothing but frustration and sorrow. That's how it ends there uh, in that, that statement. For in much wisdom, verse 18, is much grief. You think you've almost gotten the meaning of life and oh, you, oh no, not quite there yet. Because life takes a turn and it doesn't fit the pattern that you've come up with and you're kind of going, well, okay, that philosophy didn't quite work. Maybe there's another philosophy out there. Maybe there's some other wisdom statement that shows me how to live life. And so Solomon's first attempt in experimentation is to say, could I possibly come up with a meaning of life and reality uh, by myself, without God, by my philosophy and by experience and taking all the wisdom of the world and gathering it together? And he was a man who did this. He was bringing stuff from all over the world scientifically to study and, and these things. And so he's a man who's got all the advantages and he's saying, let's see if I can come up with earthly wisdom. And he just kind of throws up his hands and goes, it's nothing but sorrow and grief. You can't really figure out the meaning of life. So if that is where you end up with a, I might say, a serious study, you know, we talk about people, you know, or thinkers that, you know, they're serious, you know, they're, they're serious about life and that type of thing. What about just kind of living life for fun? Uh, we, we called uh, this uh, section uh, living the good life because that's exactly what Solomon then goes to doing. Search for wisdom doesn't work, so let me go through life and search for pleasure. Okay, we, we might, we, we have a term for this in our culture, and it can mean multiple things, but, you know, basically live as a hedonist. Give my life for pleasure and just enjoying things. That's all I'm going to do is that I'm going to give myself just to enjoy things and uh, mirth, happiness, these type of things, and go through and simply say, okay, this is how I'm going to live my life. This will give me real purpose in life. And what you have in verses 1 through 11 is an account. I, I, I want to read through this first, and then I, I'm going to go back and just kind of put it into today's vernacular uh, or statements of what is going on in Solomon's life that he's doing trying to find the meaning of life. Hey, verse 1 says this, I, I said in mine heart, go to now. I will prove thee with mirth, therefore enjoy pleasure. And behold, this is also vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad of mirth. What doeth it? I sought in mine heart to give myself unto wine, yet acquainting my heart with wisdom, to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the sons of men which they should do under heaven all the days of their life. I made me great works. 
I builded me houses. I planted me vineyards. I made me gardens and orchards. I planted trees in them of all kinds of fruits. I made me pools of water to wear therewith uh, the wood that bringeth forth trees. I got me servants and maidens and, and servants born in mine house. Also I had great possessions of great and small cattle, all that were in Jerusalem before me. I gathered me also silver and gold and the peculiar treasure of kings into the provinces. I gat me men singers and women singers and the delights of the sons of men as musical instruments and that of all sorts. So I was great, increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. My wisdom remained. Well, it remained with me. And whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my portion of all my labor. Verse 11, Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought, and on the labor that I had labored to do, and behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit, and there was no profit. There's that word again. Can you find value in life? Is there anything to gain from life and these experiences? He says, I find no value in life. So, so what do you have going on here as he describes what his search for pleasure was like? Where, where does he go and what does he do? Well, I, I would uh, say simply this, and I, I have them. It's not alliterated. It all ends with I-N-G, so I have it as like activities. Okay, so it's one of the few occasions that you'll find me doing this. We might say comedy, humor. You know, if you're, if you're going to have fun, you want to be around people that are humorous, fun. Bring laughter. And think about life and think about what we have access to. And, and, and it, we live in a generation now with the ability on our phone or on our computer to get what I'm about to say on all of these things. But if I want to be humored, I can just simply call up YouTube videos and say people doing dumb things. And you can laugh for hours, but you get to a point where you're like, you know what, I think I've seen that before. Okay, you know, I've seen that person step on the, you know, the yard rake and get hit with it and whatever. You know, I, how many times are you going to see that? Or someone who's, you know, thinking that they're going to drive their bike off the side of the roof and, and they're going to do something really great and they completely miss and, you know, hurt themselves. I mean, how many times is that going to go on where I'm going to be humored by that? And then you think about this. Our, our world today is doing all they can to produce whatever comedy they can. I mean, what goes on from 7 to 10 o'clock at night? Most of the programs there are comedy. Why? Because you can laugh at life and laugh and do whatever and be humored by it and, and just go on and on with this. And so you might say, well, it, it's okay. And it's not to say that humor is a bad thing. But to give my life for the pursuit of these things, that this is going to bring me real happiness is to find people that are fun and humorous and find things like this where all of these things take place. Give myself to that. That's what Solomon did. And you would think, well, he would be a really happy person. And look at what Solomon says, verse 2. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of mirth, what doeth it? He finally gets to the point of going, well, you know, it's, it's really not giving me anything. I mean, I, I think of it this way. It's kind of going through life, and imagine it as a meal where you've got this full meal, but yet you go and all you eat is the whipped cream on the top of, uh, you know, the ice cream, and that's all you eat is the whipped cream. After a while, you're like, this has no value. 
It was really good for a time and brought me joy, but there's no value to it. No eternal value to it. And so you can have what we might say is that Solomon just goes, I'm going to find humor, and he does not find it satisfying. I would find this is the second one. Hey, you find this in verse 3. I sought mine heart to give myself unto wine. You think about this, uh, in his generation, uh, only the rich would be able to have wine. They would have other things. But you go through all of this, and what he's giving himself to is something that was supposed to bring joy and happiness. But you're kind of going, didn't Solomon take his own advice? You go through 1 Kings chapter 31, and kings were told not to drink wine. Why? Because they make bad decisions. And then you've got a whole section as you go through 1 Kings chapter, uh, or excuse me, 1 Kings, Proverbs chapter 21, where there's a whole section on the woes that you get of drinking wine. But you think about our generation, there's all sorts of things that you, you can now have as far as drink. I mean, I, I'm just absolutely shocked now, or not shocked, but just, you know, I shake my head that, you know, you have things that, okay, you can have seltzer water with alcohol in it, and you can have vitamin C and antioxidant as part of this, too. And you're kind of going, really? I mean, what? But, but there are people that give their lives to this. This is why Fridays and Saturday nights and Sunday nights, people are gathered in different locations, and they've gathered together to what? to seemingly have fun and pleasure, and it surrounds having a drink of some kind. Having alcohol, and yet they don't realize that wine is a mocker and strong drinking is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not, this is Solomon's statement, is not wise. But you have a whole culture that anywhere you go, you go to a baseball game, you go to a football game, you watch an event, and this is advertised, you have to have this. If you don't have this, you will not have fun. And the world gives themselves to the pursuit of this in all sorts of different forms. Solomon goes, I I did this. Not very wise experiment, but he did it and found that it was not uh, the thing that would give him what he wanted. Then you have, and, and, and I tried to figure out how to, how to place this one, creating or crafting or building uh, this section where he goes through and he begins to go, well, here's what I did. I, I, I thought maybe if I build things and make them beautiful, that'll make me satisfied. Crafts, or for guys, building stuff. I mean, look at how he describes it. He goes, I made, verse 4, I made me great works. I builded me, and, and somebody said, note all the plurals that are there. It's not that I built a house. I built houses. I planted vineyards, not a vineyard, vineyards. I planted gardens. I planted orchards. I planted trees in them. I made pools of water. So it's not just one single project that he focuses in on, which some people, that's what life is, but he focuses in on a whole bunch of different projects. And, and think about what we give ourselves to as far as our hobbies or what we find relaxation in or we find joy in, and it's the building and crafting and making things. 
I mean, whoever thought a programs, a programs about watching other people build houses and deconstruct those houses and rebuild them and all this would be popular television, but people find satisfaction in seeing this. In many cases, it's because they're not doing it and they're watching somebody else do it, so there is some humor to it. Uh, but uh, th- there, there is this element that we're, we're trying to make our gardens better. Okay, I mean, there's nothing wrong with gardens. There's nothing wrong with building. But, but if I'm giving my life to this, that this is going to bring me joy, if I, I can get that last flower in place, if I can get that final beam across this and, and do this, or I can get this hobby and I've, I've crafted this thing that I, I, I've been doing as my hobby for all these years, I finally get this. It's going to bring me the satisfaction and this feeling of I've accomplished something. There'll be some meaning to my life. And in Solomon's case, he's not building just merely a house. We're talking a house that everybody in the world would see, a palace. He's the king that all the nations are flowing to. So his building projects aren't even minor. He's got big building projects, but yet in the end, he just kind of goes, yeah, I, I, I did all of that and gave my life to that. And, you know, there's a sense of satisfaction and accomplishment when you build these things and do all of that. Didn't really give him what he expected. Oh, here we go. He goes, oh, this is the women shopping. And I go, nope. Because oftentimes men shop and their, their, their things are really, really big. Women buy a lot of smaller things and that type of thing. Guys usually uh, end up buying massive things. But you look at what he in verse 7 says. I got me servants and maidens and servants born in my house. I had great possessions of great and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem. I gathered me also silver and gold and peculiar treasures of kings and provinces. What are you saying? I'm getting, you know, I gathered animals. I went and did that. I gathered servants, which are people that would work for me, do things for me. But, but I was able to also go out and get a bunch of antiques, really impressive stuff that other people own, that it's now my possession. And, you know, you think about how Amazon is alive. It's because you just merely click on something, and I can have it in one day. You know, and if I really want to pay for it, they might even deliver it by a drone. Who knows? Uh, uh, it can be on my doorstep instantaneously. But, but you think about how we live life today. There's a lot of people that are just going, if I can acquire things, it will make me happy. I'll be joyful by this, and I'll get it, and it'll make my life exceedingly joyful. And a few weeks later, it's like, well, you know what? I need to get something else from Amazon or eBay or Google or whatever it is that you're going and and doing your searching for different products on. And that's what a lot of people are trying to find meaning in. If I can just acquire this, if I can just acquire that, if I can just get this, if I can just gain this, this will bring me satisfaction because I'll be able to say, I have this and you don't. You know, so that'll bring me some satisfaction, uh, you know, towards other people that I'm actually achieving something more than what you have because I have acquired this possession. Singing. I just put it this way, music. I mean, music industry is a multi-billion dollar industry every single year. And people are consumed with what is the most popular top 40 song, and I have to listen to this, and two years later, that song is outdated. Who would want to listen to that? 
though there's a lot of stuff that's older that you wouldn't want to listen to either because it's, yeah, well, whatever. <clears throat> opera. Yeah, I don't like opera. <clears throat> Too many people wallowing uh, for long periods of time. But you know what? There's people that enjoyed that. And there's people enjoy the music today, and they're, they're trying to acquire more music and more music and more music. And for Solomon, he acquires singers, which would have been quite the thing back then because music wasn't you know, a, a readily available thing like our society. But he says, I went and got music, and I had people sing to me and do music for me, and that was supposed to bring me joy and happiness. And you just think about how people live life. They've got things in their ears all the time, and they're listening to music. And you go, why? Because they have to have a soundtrack for their life or they're not going to be satisfied and they have to have it and so Solomon says you know I did that I had music you say dating I would say you know it's a way to say relationship it's kind of hidden in verse 8 I got me men singers and women singers and the delights of the sons of men basically it's saying this that Solomon got himself concubines and we know he had a bunch of them I mean, you just think about today's society and people are trying to find happiness in what? You know, this is the whole thing of e-harmony, you know. Hey, you know, you're going to find... And, but for, for many people, it's just a game. You know, I've dated that person, 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 that person and, and you get to the end of this and you're kind of like, that's really dissatisfying. If I'm just merely living life to see who I've dated and who I haven't and, and that, and I'm going, is there somebody better out there and that type of thing, and I just merely live my life for that, there's a lot of people with 20-somethings, 30-somethings, and even 50-somethings that are living really empty lives because that's what they're living for is the next date. That's what they, they think they're going to find pleasure and satisfaction, and that's going to bring them joy and meaning to life. So you get to the end of this, and so he's living a life that's just free, of ple- you know, free for pleasure and whatever, and you say, well, what does it ultimately do? This uh, ultimately brings dissatisfaction. He states it. Verse 11, I, worked on the wor- I looked on the works of my hands that I had wrought and the labor that I had labored, and behold, all was vanity, empty. It was vexating, and ultimately there was no value eternally under the sun. So what Solomon's doing here, and as we said, the first couple of lessons here are going to be dissatisfying to you. But it's meant to be that way, thinking that you're writing a tract to an audience of people who are trying to go, I'm gonna I'm gonna live for this life under the sun. Forgetting that there is someone what? Beyond the sun. And you're going to go through this and you find uh, different statements that are, are made, but the, the fact is, is that there's only going to be joy when you find it in relation to God. I mean, this is what he hits at in verse one of, or, excuse me, chapter 1 and verse 13. He says this, I gave my heart to seek and search out wisdom concerning all things that are done under heaven. This sore travail hath God given I mean, he's, he's giving little hints here that there's something outside of this life, okay? God has a part in this. 
And so for us, as we continue to go through this, let's just understand this. You're never going to find satisfaction by being the smartest person at understanding everything this world has to offer as far as wisdom, philosophy, and everything else. You're not going to find eternal value. And you're not going to find eternal value in pursuing all the things that, and I put this in quotes, make people happy in this life. You're going to find, if you live that way, you're going to be completely at a loss. And so Solomon makes himself the experiment. He's not just merely theoretically saying, well, I think this is what is going to happen. He went and did this. And so for us, learn from Solomon that you're not going to find what you need in this life when it comes to wisdom and when it comes to pleasure. And then next week, we'll talk about one item that people don't find pleasure in, but they find, they think, meaning in life that Solomon's also going to say, it's not what you think it is. But uh, learn from Solomon. He was the experiment. He's warning us, live life not for this life, but for God, who's far above the heavens that we see. Lord, we thank you for your word. Pray that uh, we would be individuals, not that we don't live life and try and understand what's going on and enjoy life uh, because you've created all the things in this life for us to enjoy. But help us to understand that uh, we need to live life in relation to you, that you really do exist, that the things here are not permanent, the things that are eternal are, and that we have to think of life and what we're doing in relation to what has eternal value. And so help us to, to think that way, learn from examples of ones who've gone on before, and uh, live uh, in a way especially different than what Solomon was living his life here, earthly wisdom and earthly pleasure. And this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.